Welcome to the Small Business Sessions from Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. We're a podcast packed with inspiration from entrepreneurs who've been there and done it, and advice from experts on the topics you need to know to start and grow a brilliant business. Head to enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast for more information, and don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Well, welcome to this week's episode of the Small Business Sessions. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Dan Martin. I'm a head of content at Enterprise Nation, and I'm delighted this week to be joined by Ryan Morgan from Unmind. Welcome, Ryan. Hello. Thanks for having me. No problem. Thank you very much for joining us. So, Ryan is the founder of Unmind, which is a platform that helps businesses um, communicate with their staff when it comes to mental health, well-being, dealing with stress. So, over this podcast, we're going to chat about all those kind of issues, how Ryan started the business with his co-founders and some issues around well-being and mental health for employees and founders so right i know you're old i know that you're a bit of a serial entrepreneur so this is your your latest venture do you want to tell me how did it all happen to start with yeah i'm trying to think of the short way of explaining that um so serendipity uh, in large part is how the four co-founders got together so it's myself and three others uh, nick tong nick taylor and steve peralta um we didn't know each other prior to unmind and I think we all came at it with a unique perspective and skill set, but all with a, a huge desire to try and move the needle in mental health and well-being. For example, uh, Nick Taylor, he's a clinical psychologist. Um, he had spent 10 years in NHS and mental health was really close to his heart. And he kept seeing patients that he wished he could have met six months earlier because often, well, far too often, people don't get access to the right treatments or interventions until it's too late, um, partly through lack of signposting, partly because mental health literacy is extremely low um, across society. And so we don't often seek out assistance until arguably maybe it's a bit bit later and then it's far harder to do something about. For me personally, I had been involved in sort of B2B SaaS wellbeing solutions for almost a decade now. So my last business was also workplace wellbeing, but focused on physical health, whereas mental health was always the, the major subject that I always wanted to try and make a, a dent in at some point in my life. And the two predominant reasons for that um are i've got a family member who's struggled with chronic depression for their entire life and so when they're not in a great place i'm often on the end of the phone uh originally from scotland now in london so uh often on the end of the phone trying to help that person work through things the nhs has done a phenomenal job of assisting them at at varying points but the nhs can only do so much and also understanding maybe where that that family member could be empowered through other services or tools to kind of proactively look after themselves as well, rather than wait for that sort of reactionary point when things are really in a bad way. And then um, family member aside, the other predominant reason is that I've personally had two bouts of clinical depression, um, one in 2010, one in 2012, both pretty serious. At one point, I had to see a, a crisis team every day for two weeks straight because I was deemed to be a high risk of suicide. I went through all the NHS patient pathways down here in London, filled in all the sort of forms and assessments, was on all the waiting lists, ended up doing six weeks of cognitive behavioral therapy, six weeks of psychotherapy, eight weeks of group mindfulness-based cognitive behavioral therapy, was put on and have been on some form of SSRI, uh, so antidepressant, every day for the last eight years, all whilst building, growing, and exiting my last business and starting this one. I think when it comes to meds, whether it's for your bowels or your brains, I don't know why one should be stigmatized and one shouldn't if it helps people live a sort of fulfilled, wholesome life. Um, and then coming out the back of that second major dip of depression, something still felt a bit off. Uh, so I kind of pushed on a few doors and uh, the missing piece of the puzzle, uh, the last the last part that made a lot of sense in hindsight was also ended up with a diagnosis of ADHD. So I take stimulants every day for that. 
And everything considered, I've been in a sort of solid place uh, ever since. Life obviously has its ups and downs, but I haven't been in a, a, a sort of state of, of you know, depression, I guess, yeah, uh, yeah. In, in, in a long time. But I guess uh, coming out the back of it, the, the two main things that kind of, again, make the subject especially poignant for myself and the work we're doing with Unmind is I'd learned so much about my own mental health and well-being. I'd learned so many tools and techniques to sort of stay stable and if not thrive. And I was enormously grateful to the state and the NHS for all this incredible insight that I probably wouldn't be here without today. But I also came away with, alongside that enormous gratitude, a, a deep, profound frustration that all of these things that are out there that can help us all, because we all have mental health all the time, aren't often brought to our attention again until it's, until it's far too late. So for me, there's this enormous passion to sort of look at what we're doing as individuals, as societies, as workplaces, and I'm kind of like, why aren't we doing everything within our power to avoid people from ever ending up there in the first place? Um, and that's definitely one of the mantras we have on mind, um, is trying to um, provide people with these frameworks, these tools, these provisions, um, these methodologies that are all very clinically valid. Um, and they're the same things that not only help us survive when we're not in a good place, but um, also help us thrive, uh, be it productivity, focus, leadership. And um, we want to empower people with those things uh, in a more everyday way. Well, if, I mean, if there's ever, a, uh, you know, they say you should base a business on your personal experiences, you've definitely done that with that. That's, that's amazing. So once you'd come up with this amazing idea, you recognised that there was a need for this. How did you go about actually getting it all, getting it all set up? What were the challenges you faced? So we, again, we all came with different perspectives. So Nick Tong, CTO, he's a lifelong engineer, came with a very de- technical background. Steve Peralta, well-being guru. He's read more books than I think the entire rest of the business combined. Um, he was delivering face-to-face workshops with big corporates and they were having an incredible impact, but the corporates kept saying, this is awesome. We're in a room with 30 people. How do we reach 30,000 people? Um, again, Dr. Nick Taylor coming in with that clinical academic background and uh, very sort of scientific history in that regard. And then me personally with the lived experience. And I think we all came at it with these unique perspectives, but as they sort of coalesced and as we crossed paths in, what was it, late 2016, early 2017, the main thing was just trying to get something together that we could show that there was a, an appetite and desire from the market for this kind of solution in an enterprise way. Um, so we, we sort of cobbled together, I guess, what you might consider an MVP in uh, early 2017. And we're then just really lucky. I think we, we found some, some willing clients that were happy to sort of trial the platform that we put together. So uh, I guess in short, the, the online proposition is a digital solution um, that employees can access confidentially and anonymously that has tool training and assessments for them to understand more about their mental health and then take steps to improve it proactively wherever they might be yep. uh, at any given time. And uh, obviously the initial uh, sort of alpha solution we put together was very creaky, lots of bugs, <laughs> uh, fell over it several times. But, As always. Yeah, but people were willing to, you know, grin and bear it and, and give us that really candid feedback that allowed us to kind of iterate and improve. And, and several of those initial sort of alpha guinea pigs are still with us today, which is hopefully, this is now three years on, and hopefully that's testament to the value that they're not only seeing as a business, but most importantly, the value that our users are seeing in terms of their everyday health and well-being. Mm. I mean, the majority of your clients are bigger, the bigger business end, aren't they? So initially, how did you find, because, you know, I was sort of looking into stats around the impact of, you know, mental health, depression on, on, on businesses and people. And, you know, it's now accounts for half of all working days sure. off in the UK. 
you know, there's various studies about actually mental health and founders and actually the people running the businesses. Did you find though those those kind of stats helped, or was was there some businesses that were still a bit like this isn't something I need to do for my staff? You know, this is this is the hospitals, this is doctors. You know, it's it's or do you find the business owners, management are now much more open to this kind of stuff? Uh, I think there were some that already got it. I guess you could say and understood either the fact that it's just the right thing to do. Uh, we spend an awful lot of our time at work, if not more time than we do in some instances, like at home. Uh, and so if we can create an environment that helps people look after themselves, it's not only going to impact their, their productivity and their uh, uh, sort of effectiveness at work, but also extends far beyond that into friends, family, um, social and personal lives as well. I think you've touched on the fact that since we initially launched, there's been a ton of research and, and documents and um, for example, the Stevenson Farmer Review, which was a report commissioned by the government to look into the cost of mental ill health on society and the economy. Um, and the, and the, like that, again, clearly outlined the fact that the biggest cause of absenteeism in the workplace in the UK, and if not further afield, is mental ill health. So I think a lot of other businesses are either doing it because, again, they have lived experience. I know others who have had difficulties and they recognize we could be doing more to support them. Um, or it, they're just starting to see that it makes commercial sense, whereby if you can help people proactively and preventatively avoid major issues from occurring then and get people to help sooner or the right intervention, then um, you're just going to have a, a healthier, happier, more human workforce that can kind of you know, do do better things, do greater things together. Yeah. Did you find that from the from the investors as well? Because you've raised, you know, a couple of million quid for this. So did you find it was a certain type of investor that 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 saw the value in this? Yeah, I'd say so. When we first set out, so we've raised three rounds today and the initial angel round was pre-product. And as I've kind of touched on, my background has been in the B2B enterprise SaaS space. So when it came to range, raising our angel round, we were able to tap into a few of the people that I'd met along that journey of six years with my last company. Mm. Uh, I'd kissed a lot of frogs to find <laughs> the Prince Charmings throughout that process. And some of those Prince Charmings were sort of willing to take a, a punt on us, um, either through the relationship I'd built with them or you know the fact that the founding team was so multidisciplinary and strong. Um, and they're very, uh, I guess they just... They're, they're good people and they recognized because their background was also in that space that this was an area that desperately needed more attention um, and was sorely lacking any kind of digital forward-thinking innovative products in that space. Um, and then when it came to future rounds, we definitely always wanted to seek investment from people that shared our values and principles. Uh, it was never just about money for the sake of money, nor was it just money with a bit of value add. We absolutely wanted to be aligned in terms of our vision and most importantly, the, the types of people we'd be working with on a day-to-day basis. So one really quick example is the most recent round, which was £3 million. Um, the lead investor was Felix Capital. And uh, the one poster they have in their boardroom, uh, it, it says sort of work hard and be nice to people. And I think that really resonated with us comparative to perhaps a few other funds that are maybe a bit more dry and, and by the book and solely focused on metrics and commercials, which is obviously a part of what we do uh, as a venture-backed entity, but definitely not the be-all and end-all. Mm. I mean, this is, a, this is a, a more general question about business, but is that ad- advice you give to a lot of people listening to this that are after funding is to, particularly if you're in a, you know, a business that's so socially focused, 
to find the investor that fits your values rather than just go for the first bit of cash <laughs> yeah i think you know at the end of the day if, if your back's up against the wall then you're going to take uh money from well whomever it is to keep the lights yeah. on yeah uh, but it, I, I certainly wouldn't advise that take the you know cash the first check that gets put in front of you it is it's one of those trite quintessential turns of phrase but it's much more like a, a long-term relationship marriage than it is anything else and you'll have board meetings with these people these people will also um have certain clauses around decisions you can or cannot make without their necessary like group consent and they'll also play a huge part in the types of future investors you can attract so if you take on uh, individuals or, or funds that maybe don't align with so much of who you are and what you're about then i think that can be an, an indicating factor to when you go for your next round you might have other uh, later stage investors looking at who's on your cap table or who sits around the board and if they don't feel in alignment with them, they're going to have to work alongside them sort of week in, week out as well. But I just absolutely be very careful, I think, as to um, where you take capital from. Yeah, exactly. Um, back to the platform. How do you measure the success of it in terms of you know usage and what are the kind of things that you look at, for how, how it's working correctly when it comes to the staff that are using it? Yeah, so there's all those sort of core metrics, be it signups, registrations, retention, engagement, daily active, weekly active, monthly active kind of users. Uh, so I think we're very similar in terms of a quintessential SaaS solution in that ilk. When it comes to the actual impact on someone's health and well-being, um, there's a few things we do. So we have our own clinically validated uh, assessment called the Unmind Index. So that's a kind of questionnaire that you'd fill in uh, a Likert uh, scale system. So, for example, during the past month, I have felt dot 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 that the strains and stresses on me are overbearing and i don't have enough time and energy to accomplish them all and then it's like no days every day with sort of several options in between and someone fills that in and uh we can get a sort of good idea as to where maybe they're they're, they're finding pinch points or, or difficulties in their life and it correlates against the same measures that any sort of gp or private insurer might use but we created our own um because it's far more positively framed so when the outputs are presented we don't talk about uh, anxiety stress and depression we talk about coping calmness and happiness and those are effectively the same things just on the more positive affirmative side of the spectrum far more approachable for users and so we can see how those things change over time and based on the outputs we can make recommendations to users to sort of digest some of the content we have which is audio video interactive um, stuff they can dig into um, and at the beginning of those courses as well so say someone was doing a course on um, intro to mental health uh, we would do a, another standalone assessment at the start of that program and then at the end of the program and we could sort of measure again the trajectory of of their scores and and demonstrate that they'd learned or grown or uh, were in a better place overall mm. are you sort of giving access to those stats to people like you know the government policymakers to sort of improve the way that mental health is sort of approached in this this in the society is that something you considered yeah i mean we're, it's still early days for us yeah um we're definitely learning a lot through our own stats and and for our clients we never ever ever breach anonymity or confidentiality of a user but we can aggregate and anonymize the data so for example if we see macro trends in one particular client that sleep is becoming a major issue um we'll never sort of say who or which department that's kind of coming from but it at least empowers them with an insight and a piece of data that they wouldn't otherwise had and they can then run like a higher level sleep campaign or you know, address their their wider well-being budget or strategy to sort of account for that being a particular 
um, bottleneck for for their own workforce. Um, I think the interesting thing is then looking at more macro trends within certain industries. So within the financial sector or the legal sector or the retail space, um, that's sort of started starting to get quite interesting for us as we bring more clients on board. And then absolutely a, a longer term um, thing we'd be extremely passionate about doing is seeing if there are ways in which we can leverage the data um, working with public sector um, or legislative bodies, whomever it might be, um, to try and make like bigger, more macro improvements in the way mental health uh, services and, and um, structures are kind of put together. Obviously, the majority of people listening to this will be small business owners, founders, their own, their own business, which you know full well. So what's based on you know, the platform, some of the things you do, but also your own personal experience, what advice would you give to founders for, for managing their own mental health and, and well-being when it comes to running a business? There is no silver bullet or sort of panacea. So I can only speak to you know, what I find beneficial. I think there's obviously all the core ones that any person will, will reel off, be it sleep. That's a massive one for me. I know if I don't get a good night's kip, it's you know, a huge contributing factor to my overall, how I feel you know, the next day. Um, exercise, uh, plenty of evidence behind that. Eating well, you know, all, all the sort of usual stuff. The things that I've personally found most helpful, I guess in a more specific founder way, I think as founders, we can often be our own worst enemies uh, or our biggest critics. And sometimes being able to quell that voice that is perpetually on your shoulder telling you that you're not doing you know, a great job, or if it's not 10 out of 10 and you only hit nine out of 10, that you're kind of a bit of a failure. I've certainly found some of the techniques from uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or uh, again, mindfulness is another area i try and like practice uh just in terms of distilling your thoughts and, and having more control over them rather than having control over you um and that that being present in the moment that helps not just in terms of some of those negative aspects but also lots of research behind how mindfulness can increase your increase your sort of cognitive function and executive decision making control so that that's that's a couple things and then um i think just you know it's one of those it's going to sound trite again, but just allowing yourself to take some time occasionally. We can get so hell-bent on working every hour of every day of every weekend, and you burn, you just do burn yourself out. And the irony is that by taking time off, or you know, evenings or whatever it might be, to allow yourself to, to recuperate and, and take stock and recharge, um, the, the sort of mid to long-term gains of that are far superior because you just stay healthy and in a good place for longer rather than working tirelessly burning yourself out and then being no good to anyone including yourself for a prolonged period of time so um allowing yourself that opportunity to to rest and um take a step back i think is another one that we often fall very foul of and i know i've fallen foul of in the past mm. tell me about it i've recently had a holiday where we went away in a cottage and there was no mobile reception it was yeah. like so I, I couldn't look at my phone to check yeah. emails. So that's, that's a big, that was a big benefit. For sure. Exactly. So just, just finally, what's the future for our mind? Where do you hope this is all going to go? Um, we certainly have global ambitions. I mean, we want to be the de facto um, workplace mental health provider, kind of known in that space. Uh, we do already have users in, it grows every week, but I think now between 30 to 40 countries. So although we're based in London exclusively, we sell into large multinational corporations. Um, we're very fortunate a lot of those global decision makers happen to be based in London, so we can meet them and sort of walk them through the sales process. Um, some will sort of initially launch it in the UK and then expand it further afield. 
but we we have global users. It's currently just in English, so that in and of itself is an ambition to become more multilingual and appropriate for a sort of wider demographic and audience around the world. And sort of looking to the future, I think, yeah, there's certainly an angle in which we have a physical footprint in a couple other territories. But I think above all, you know, one of our key mantras is envisaging a world where mental health is universally understood, nurtured and celebrated. And if we can keep taking proactive steps to do that initially by working with large corporates, and then we're very passionate about trying to come up with a solution that's more appropriate for SMEs, um, also schools and universities and young people, um, and then this sort of public sector side of things as well as a whole bunch of avenues and verticals. We're very, 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 very keen to exploring and get a handle on at some point. But for the here and now, I think, again, it was one of those mistakes I made with the last, uh, last companies. If you try and do too many things at once, you often roll yourself completely flat out like a pancake and, um, and bottom out. So trying to stay focused, but definitely um, big ambitions globally around becoming that de facto uh, provider of sort of innovative, proactive mental health solutions. Fantastic. Well, it's a brilliant business on such an important issue. Um, Rye, thank you so much for joining us on the Small Business Sessions. Cool. Thanks. Yeah, thanks again for having me. You've been listening to the Small Business Sessions for Enterprise Nation, powered by Zero. For more information, visit enterprisenation.com forward slash podcast. And big thanks to podcast production company PodRaffi for producing this podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you next time.